Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Well, good morning again, everyone. It's good to be back with you. Um, before I left a couple weeks ago, oh, before I say that, thank you, Pastor Reed. Thank you, Dr. Martin, for filling in for me. You guys did a fantastic job. Thank you so, so much. It's good to know you're in good hands when you leave. So. Amen. But before I left, I started a new series about lessons that we can learn from the past. And so we're going to continue that again this morning. But you're going to be turning your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 1. No, you don't need to say bless you. <laughs> Habakkuk chapter 1. And we'll be there this morning. And I know what you're thinking. Or maybe you're thinking. Habakkuk. That's the book of the Bible that everybody loves. And everybody knows hundreds of verses from Habakkuk. It's uh, everyone's favorite book in the Bible, am I right? Okay, all right, all right. Being a little cynical. But the truth is, it's probably been a while since you've looked at the book of Habakkuk, like we're going to this morning. And it's not one of those books that we tend to turn to a lot, but it's where the Lord has led us this morning, and so we're going to delve right into it starting now. So again, Habakkuk is not what we would call a well-known book of the Bible, and I've never actually heard anyone say that Habakkuk was their favorite book in the Bible, and I'm sure the Lord will present itself today and say, this is a person that it's their favorite book today which is great, because I think it's a great book, because it has a really great lesson for us to learn, actually many great lessons for us to learn, but the specific message that it's going to bring to us today is how we look at faithfulness. How do we look at faithfulness? And after all, Habakkuk is a minor prophet, and he's often overshadowed by guys like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, but just so everyone's clear this morning, the term minor prophet has have nothing to do with how important that prophet was. It has to do with how long their particular book of the Bible was. And they're called a major prophet, and then if their book is short, they're a minor prophet. So the minor prophet is just as important as the major prophets. And they're still speaking for God. They're speaking to God's people. Um, something else you might want to take note of, when the prophets of the Old Testament spoke and gave prophecies, they weren't always speaking to the same groups of people. Some of them were before the exile, in other words, uh, before the Babylonian captivity. Some of them were during the exile. That would have been when God's people were enslaved by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the Persians, of course. And some of them were prophesying after the exile. The books of Hosea and Amos were written to the nations of Israel. And Lamentations, Micah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, Zephaniah, and Habakkuk, the one we're looking at this morning, were all written to Judah, and both Jonah and Nahum were actually 
to the Assyrians. And Obadiah was directed to Edom. And some of them, like Malachi, were written specifically to the city of Jerusalem, but not necessarily to the nation. Now, Habakkuk writes this book right around 609 B.C. In other words, right before Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came down to wipe out Assyria and eventually Jerusalem as well. So it's right before the people of Judah are taken into captivity. All right, history lesson over. But really, when you get right down to it, this book is about having faith. Do you have faith? Having faith even when you don't understand something. Even when you don't see the whole picture. It's about trusting that God is good, no matter what. And trusting that he's in control. God's in control, even when it seems that he's not. In fact, if you look with me really quickly to chapter 2, verse 4, you can turn there really quickly. At the last part of that verse, you'll see that it is the key to the whole book here. And later on, it's quoted in the book of Romans, and then in Galatians, and then it's also in Hebrews. The just shall live by faith. So this is a book about faith, having faith and keeping the faith, even when your world gets turned upside down. So let's go back to chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, and it reads this. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked are surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Now, this passage starts off by giving us a lot of information, information that you wouldn't see unless you were really looking closely for it. So, for example, the word oracle there, it's the Hebrew word Massah, and it really, it literally means a burden or a heavy load. So it's an oracle, a vision or a message from God. But it's also a heavy load on Habakkuk once he sees it and hears it. In other words, God speaks to him and gives him this prophecy. And it's a heavy thing for Habakkuk to bear. And here's why. Habakkuk, in these verses we just read, is talking and praying to God. And he's saying, God, this world is messed up. 
This world is full of hate. It is full of violence. And it is full of selfishness and sin. And I've been praying to you, but it seems you're far away from me, God. It seems like you're not hearing me or listening to me or listening to my prayers. And God, I know you are a good God. I know you care about people. I know that you can fix things and change things. But it seems like this world is on fire and you're not doing anything about it. But that's what essentially Habakkuk is saying. It's a burden to him because he doesn't understand why God seems so distant and so unconcerned about what's going on in the world. Now, I don't know about all of you, but I'd be willing to bet that at least some of us have felt that way before. You look around at the world and you see the crime, the immorality, the perversion, the wickedness, and corruption, and you're like, Lord, please do something about this. This is getting to be too much. We know this isn't pleasing to you. Well, this is what Habakkuk is doing in this passage that we've just read, and he's burdened by the sin and evil and wickedness of the world around him. And we're going to see that Habakkuk is going to be burdened by God's reply. Because sometimes the way God does things isn't the way we think he should. You see, God sees the wickedness of Habakkuk's day, and God's aware of it, and God's going to do something about it. But it's not what Habakkuk was expecting. You see, he wants God to turn people's hearts back to him. He wants the people and the society and the culture around him to return to a godly and morally upright way of living. And what God does is say, nope, I'm not bringing restoration this time. I'm bringing judgment. You're right, Habakkuk. It's gone on for far too long. And are we not asking that same question? Are we not in the realization of that is exactly where we stand today? It's been going on for way too long. It's gone on for too long. And it is detestable. And the Bible says the Lord is angry at sin every day. And he's going to do something about it. He said to Habakkuk, he says, I'm going to bring the Chaldeans as the instrument of my judgment upon Israel. Now think about this for just a second, church. Think about this. This would be like you and I praying and saying, Oh, Lord, 
please do something about the situation in America. There's so much sin and wickedness going on around us. Corruption, violence. There's 700 plus people being murdered in Chicago every year. 700 plus people being murdered in Baltimore every year. 500 plus in Philadelphia. And we haven't even gotten to the abortions. 50,000 every year and that number keeps rising. They're being murdered legally in clinics every year. Or homosexuality or political corruption. Lawlessness on our borders. And we should pray about these things and ask for God's help with these things. But imagine praying and praying that the Lord would move upon this nation and then God saying to us, yes, there is a great evil in the land. I am going to bring Muslims into America and have them attack America and destroy America as a judgment for this wickedness. Could we refute that? Isn't that what we deserve? But that's not what God is wanting to convey to us. While his judgment during Habakkuk's time was not what he expected, nevertheless, he accepted it because he had faith in God's plan. Do we have the same kind of faith in God's plan? Now, I'm not saying any of this is going to come to fruition. But as you sit here today, could you not imagine something like this happening? Or has already started to happen? God will answer. God will give us an answer. It may not be the one we want. But he calls us to faithfulness. He calls us to understand that his plan is what will be done. And we trust in him. Whether it's their own or just sin in the world, as followers of Christ, our hearts should be moved with compassion for people. And I'm not saying we don't call people to accountability and that we don't excuse or ignore sinful behavior. But again, as followers of Christ, we understand that if not for the grace of God, that could just as easily be us as it is them. If not for the grace of God, there go I. And also, we've got to realize that as followers of Christ, as people who love God and who believe in Jesus, we see this differently than the world because the world looks at the evil and sin around them and sometimes they don't even see it as sin. To the world, acceptance of a deviant lifestyle is a good thing. To the world, acceptance of false religions and godless atheism is a good thing. They don't see abortion as sin. They don't see homosexuality as a sin. They don't see these things as what they are. In fact, it's the complete opposite. They see these things as good. Do what makes you feel good. 
And so in Habakkuk's day, just like in our day, there are worldly people who don't see things from a biblical perspective. They don't have a biblical worldview. And so when you call them to holiness, and when you call them to repent, and you call them to live in a godly manner, they look at you like you're speaking another language to them. Well, let's get back to the text. Habakkuk has this burden. And the initial burden is the apparent silence from God. But there's another part to this that we need to look at as well. You see, Habakkuk is not only burdened by all the sin and the evil and iniquity he's going through in this world around him, and he's not only burdened to what seems like God not acting to stop this stuff from happening, but there's also the idea here that Habakkuk is burdened with the fact that it is not just lost sinners who are acting wickedly. It is also God's own people. I like the way R.C. Sproul says it. He says, The prophet was grieved and shocked by how God's people continually departed from covenant life. They no longer lived like a chosen and saved people. Habakkuk says, There's violence, iniquity, destruction, strife, contention. All of this stuff is going on. How are we any different? How are we any different? But let me give you the definition of some of these words. We have a clearer picture. Violence. In the Hebrew translation, this term is talking about the deliberate, brutal, and insensitive infringement of the rights and privileges of members of God's people. In other words, there's violence in the regular sense of the word, but it's going beyond that. God's faithful people are being persecuted and attacked and slandered and losing their rights. Iniquity, that's the inherent sinful behavior we have from Adam. So Habakkuk is saying he's seeing people fall into these habitual sinful lifestyles. And that includes drunkenness, debauchery, immorality, perversion, wrath, and anger, hatefulness. In other words, treating others like dirt. And he says that strife and contention arise. Basically, that means that when wickedness goes unchecked, it results in a divided community where you see people getting suspicious of one another and begin accusing one another of things, whether real or not. And people launch personal attacks on their neighbors. And then look at verse 4. It says, The law is paralyzed. Literally, the law has become numb. In other words, Habakkuk is saying people have become desensitized to God's standard of right and wrong. What used to be as wicked and scandalous and immoral and corrupt is just the new normal now. I hate that saying. It's the new normal. That's why I had such a hard time during COVID. Oh, it's the new normal. Yes, but it's not. 
It's the new normal. It's the way things are. But you see, Habakkuk was seeing all of this, and he's crying out to God to intervene. And we should be doing the same, because the same kind of wickedness and lawlessness in our world, it's not any different. It's the same. But if God seems silent, that doesn't mean that he's not aware. And that doesn't mean that he's not working. But we need to really be aware that his answer to these problems may not be what we think it should be. God brought judgment upon his people who were living in an ungodly and sinful way by using another group of people who were even more ungodly. And what made it worse was that they were pagans. So God is going to act. He is going to act. And it's not the way Habakkuk thought it would be. And the truth is, he doesn't know how to handle that. And he doesn't know what to do about it. But here's what he does know. He knows that God is a good God. And that if God is going to do something, even if it's not what he expects him to do, it's still good and right and better than anything that you and I could ever think. And so ultimately Habakkuk is going to have to have faith like a child. He doesn't understand everything his heavenly father is doing or going to do. But he trusts him. And he knows that God loves and cares for him, just like he does with us. God loves us. He takes care of us. Amen. Thank you, God. We go through trials. But that doesn't mean God doesn't love us. It doesn't mean that God's turning a blind eye to our issue. If anything, it should be drawing us closer to him. God's providing an opportunity to look at something and say, I need God. I need you. The question for you and I this morning is, do we know that? Do we know that without a shadow of a doubt? Do we trust God like that? Can you trust him even when you don't understand? Can you lean on him and rest in him? Or are you trying to get ahead of him and get it done on your own? And make it happen the way you think it should. It's better to trust him, to listen to him, and to obey him. Look at verses 5 through 11. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadths of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. 
Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. So maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like Habakkuk in the sense that you, you look around and you see the wickedness in our nation. The murder, rape, theft, robbery, corruption. Uh, corruption in the highest levels. Lawlessness abounds. And these are all signs of the end times, by the way. Immorality, perversion, injustice, slander, false accusations, real crimes that are being left unpunished. And maybe you're like Habakkuk in the sense that you've been praying, and I hope that you are. You're praying. And we also know that some of the wickedness in our nation is with God's people. Within the church, there are some who are sinning just like the worldly person without Christ. Within the church, we have prayerless people and people who don't put God first in their lives. And when God's people are indistinguishable in their sin from the world, we have a real problem. We have a real problem, but maybe you've been going to the Lord. You've been lifting up your prayers, and it seems like God has kind of put you on hold. You're not hearing from him. You're not understanding what his purpose is for you. Or maybe it's more personal than that. Maybe it's in your life or in your health, your marriage, your finances. Maybe it's a loved one or a friend who is lost and you're praying and asking God, Lord, where are you in this? Please do something about this situation that I'm in. Please fix this. I was reading a story a while back about a lady who was struggling with a debilitating, uh, debilitating illness. And it got to the point where she said, I don't even care if God heals me. I just want to know that he's there. I want him to show me that he's here. I mean, that's almost to the point of hopelessness, right? Have you ever felt like that? Have you felt hopeless before? Maybe you feel like that right now. That God's up there in heaven, but he really isn't interested or that he's not really caring about what you are going through or your situation or about what's going on here on earth. And I feel like I need to say this real quick too. I know that there are teachings and teachers out there that say something like, feelings don't matter. You have to rely on faith, not feelings. 
And I know what those teachers mean when they say that. But I think they're forgetting one important thing, is we're created in the image and likeness of God. And that includes our ability to think, to reason, and even our feelings. And while it's true that if we're purely emotional and feeling-driven, we can find ourselves being tossed to and fro with any wave that comes in our life. That is true. But the Bible doesn't tell us to deny our feelings or emotions because oftentimes those are the things that what drive us back to Jesus. They're intended to drive us back to the one who can take care of those things. Not just to feel feelings because we're human and and that's what we're supposed to do. Those things are given to us as a gift For a reason, it has a purpose to draw us closer to God so that we can be shaped and formed and strengthened by the Word of God. And so when those times come when we feel like God is not listening or that He's not hearing our prayers or our feelings should drive us back to His Word, And read something like Psalms 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Or 2 Peter chapter 3 which says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise at some count slowness but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all, all should reach repentance. And when we know God and when we feel like he's so far away from us, and in those times when it seems like he's not hearing your prayers or concerned with what's going on in the world, it helps us to remember that he is aware and that he is working and that he has a plan and a purpose even in those times. And it reminds us that God is working and moving and actively bringing his will and his plans and his purpose to pass. But the thing is, Sometimes he's working out his will in a way that you and I will never understand or can even imagine. God answers Habakkuk's prayer, but not in the way he thought he would. God says, I am aware of the wickedness and evil and sin you're describing, Habakkuk, and I'm bringing judgment, not revival. But I want you to notice something here. The first thing God says to Habakkuk in verse 5 is, Look around you. Be aware of the situation that is laid out before you. Look among the nations and see. You see, Habakkuk was praying for his nation. He was praying for Judah. But God is the sovereign Lord over every nation and people group. And he was saying to Habakkuk, it's not just about you. 
I'm doing something in the world and you need to pay attention to it. You see, sometimes our view is limited to just us or just our small part of the world. Our view is more local or even national at times. But God's view is universal. It's eternal. He sees all things and knows all things. We forget the song we used to sing when we were little. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but while our nation is falling into godlessness, Christianity is spreading like wildfire in China. Despite the persecution they face, it's growing like crazy in Russia. China has an estimated 160 million Christians, but it's probably more than that because the government still tries to crack down upon them and they have gone underground. Just recently, in the Christianity Today magazine, it reported that 74% of Russians profess to be Christians, whereas only 70.6% of Americans profess to be Christian. And that number is shrinking here in the U.S. While it's growing in Russia, Christ is building his church in the nations of Africa and India and all around the world. The problem we tend to have here in the U.S. is that we base our theology and our eschatology on our nationalism. In other words, we tend to think if America is doing well, then God is moving and God is working and God is active. But if America is heading in the wrong direction, we tend to think that this must be the end. The rapture is about to happen. And don't get me wrong, I love our country more than anything in the world. I love our country. And I desperately want to see God move and bring revival to our land. I want to see men and women, young and old, return to Jesus. And to see godliness and holiness and righteousness return to this nation. I want to see revival. But at the same time, we have to be aware that God is working in this world. We have to understand that the United States of America could crumble and fall and fade into obscurity. But God will still be God. And he is still King of kings and Lord of lords. And he is still sovereign and good and in control of all things. He is the God who raises up nations, and he is also the God that casts them down. And that is what the Lord is saying to Habakkuk. He says that he is going to raise up the Chaldeans, and we know them better as the Babylonians, and they've been around as long as the Israelites have. They were the descendants of Abraham's brother Nahor. We learned that in Genesis 22. And they weren't good people. They were wicked and they were evil and they were violent. And their capital city was Babylon. Later on it was called Babylon. And 
from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. It's used as a symbol to or of human society that tries to live independently from God. It's a symbol of worldliness, godlessness, and materialism, and hedonism. In one sense, you might say that we've already been overrun by Babylon in our day. God describes them to Habakkuk, and he says in verse 7 that they are dreaded and fearsome. And in verse 8, he says their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. And then in verse 9, he says they're only coming to do violence and to take slaves. And that's what they did. They would kill all the fighting men. They would take all the women and children captive. I mean, that's how Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would all end up in Babylon later on. They were taken captive, removed from their homeland and their families, and brought to Babylon. And I'll say this once again. What God is telling Habakkuk would be like God saying to us, I am bringing people of a foreign nation to come and destroy us all. They're going to overrun the United States, and all they want to do is kill everyone that are not like them and take the women and children into slavery. Now, can you imagine that? Can you imagine God saying that? How could you do that to us, Lord? How could that even be a possibility? And I'm sure that's what Habakkuk was thinking. How could you do this to us? This would have been shocking to him. And it would be shocking to us if that were to come to fruition. It would have been mind-boggling. But if we're going to rightly understand the, uh, this Old Testament book of Habakkuk, we've got to understand that this is exactly what God is going to say and what he is going to do. If we're going to understand how God can do something like this, We've got to come to understand what Habakkuk would have had to come to understand himself. And not only Habakkuk, but all the believers throughout the Bible. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 8. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. 
For people who seek thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Do you catch what that passage is saying? All of these people had faith. Everyone who is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, they had faith. They had faith in God. They had faith in God's promises. And part of that faith included the fact that they came to realize that this world is not their home. In John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, you don't need to turn there. But it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, and whoever does the will of God abides forever. Abides forever. So God has to get Habakkuk to see that this world is not his home. And God is trying to get us to see that this world is not our home. We have to have faith. You see, and even in the land of Judah, it's not his real home. It's just his temporary duty station where he works, where he abides, where he lives out the life that God has given him. But see, God has specific plans and specific places that he has placed us to achieve that. He has a specific plan for Israel, but he also has a specific plan for the rest of the world and the people of the world. His plan was to send Jesus Christ to die for all the sins of the people, of every people, of every nation, of every tribe, and every tongue. His plan from the beginning was to send Jesus to reconcile and redeem humanity and save us from our sin. And remember this, God is not unjust when he brings this judgment upon Judah. The people of Judah had rebelled against God and sinned and had turned their backs on God. God is just and right to judge them, just like he was just and right to judge the Babylonians later on and the Persians after them. God always does what is just and right and good. And we don't know what God is going to do with the United States of America, but he has called us to faithfulness. We don't know if he'll bring revival or judgment, but we pray for revival. We pray that others are brought to the kingdom. We act. We say things 
We do the will of God because he has called us to do so. We don't sit in a corner and wallow and wish our things in our world were different. Of course we do. We pray for those things. We pray for redemption. We pray for people to come back to God and to that godly way of life. But what can we know? And what should we know that is whatever he does, it will be the right thing. Pray that he brings revival. Pray that he brings revival. It most certainly would be better than the alternative. Because if it's not revival, then we know for a fact that it will be judgment. But in the meantime, know that this world is not our home. We are looking for a far better kingdom whose builder and maker is God. And ask yourself, do you belong to that kingdom? Have you been adopted into the family of God? And have you trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior? And I pray if you're sitting there this morning and you don't know the answer to those questions, that you do not leave here today until you get them. We want to share that with you. God wants to be sovereign in your life. And it is by no accident that you are sitting where you're sitting today. God is calling his people to action. Will we answer the call? Will we answer the call? Dave, come and lead us in our benediction, please. I just want to trade on to that. If you're here this morning and you do not know for certain that if you were to die today, if you're not certain that you would have eternal life with the Lord, you, there's an eternity, but eternal life with the Lord, please don't leave today until you are informed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. So I'll be standing right here for a few minutes. If you have questions, please come and see me. There's others here that can help you as well. Let's stand together, and as we go into this new week, let's just thank him. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him. Heavenly Father, as we leave your house this morning, I pray that we grow closer to you. Lord, when things around us don't seem like they should be, and Lord, that is the reality that we're in, let us not fall into temptation. Let us not fall into worldliness. But God, let us fall into your hands and to understand your purpose and your plan for us. Lord, let us be ministers of your word that when we encounter those who are lost and desperately need to seek you, that we can be that instrument to help them find you 
and to be a part of that kingdom. Bless us as we leave here today to our appointed destination, Lord, and I pray as we go through this new week and as you provide opportunities for us to preach your word, to speak to others, to enrich someone's lives with your word, I pray that we grab hold of those opportunities and that we relish it and that we allow you to do the work through us so that you get the glory and no one else. Thank you, Lord, for this day. And it's in your holy and precious name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.